Defense contractors are or should be busy putting together their self-assessments of their cybersecurity. Under the Cybersecurity Maturity Model Certification Program, those self-assessments are due at the end of the month. The question is how the government will use them. For more, we turn to CMMC expert and Rogers Joseph O'Donnell partner, Bob Metzger. And Bob, uh, the question that you've raised in a pretty widely circulated essay in the last couple of weeks is, will they be baselines just to get into the door, or will they be criteria for source selection evaluation? What's your take? Well, it's a key question. So we we know that um, effective uh, December 1st, solicitations are going to go out to to contractors that require them to submit a basic uh, assessment, a self-assessment of their uh, satisfaction of the 110 cyber controls that are in uh, NIST Special Publication 171. Now, the assessment is a net assessment. You can get a maximum score of 110, but if you fail to meet uh, requirements, then you uh, reduce your score, not just by a single point for each control, because some of the controls are are weighted. There are five-point controls, and there are three-point controls. So if you were to uh, miss five five-point controls, well, then you take a 25-point deduction from your score. Well, here's the question. We know that companies have to prepare the self-assessment, and we know that they have to post it on the supplier performance risk system, a DOD database. And we know that many companies are going to submit scores that are less than that 110 perfect score. And it's also quite likely that some of those companies will submit scores that are maybe half of 110 or even less. Well, what happens? Well, if you look at the the new rule, all it says is that you have to post that score and have it in place at the time that you would receive a contract award. But we can also look elsewhere, Tom, and we can see that uh, DOD contracting officers are supposed to look at this uh, SPRS system in order to assess supplier risk. And when they look at that system, they may see that companies they intend to make an award to have a low score. Well, are they just going to ignore it and say, well, you know, any score is good enough? Or are they going to use it for some other purpose? Uh, My analysis is that uh, DOD, once it has the information, will likely act upon it. Uh, They have the ability to consider a low score and decide uh, that a company is not responsible for award. They can create special uh, responsibility criteria and even tell companies in advance what the minimum score is that they would require. And there are ways in which they can uh, tell companies that in their competitive evaluation, they'll be looking to the scores and perhaps even comparing the scores of offerors. The key point is this. um, Checking the box and submitting the score is required for sure. But no company should assume that any score is good enough. And every company should be motivated to improve their score. Yeah, I think you make a key point in mentioning check the box, and that is it's everyone's desire, certainly DOD's desire, that it not become another check box exercise like so many other scoring systems in the government, but really an actionable condition for contracts. Well, that's exactly right. I mean, too often, you know, there will be important objectives that are served by regulation and contract clause. But the way in which they filter to companies is that you essentially say, yes, I did it, or no, I didn't. And then beyond that, if you, in many cases, all you have to do is to assert either impliedly or directly that you've done it. Well, you know, security doesn't really work that way. 
We live in uh, dynamic times. The threat changes. Vulnerabilities emerge. New tactics and techniques and procedures um, evolve. And so uh, it's important that companies not only meet the minimum prerequisites, such as uh, the submission of this SPRS score, but it's important that they also improve their security and close any gaps and that they maintain their security over the period of time of that initial assessment. We're speaking with attorney Bob Metzger. He's a partner at Rogers Joseph O'Donnell and a published author on a lot of cybersecurity issues. And that gets to the next issue, which is the False Claims Act, because if you certify you've got 110, say, controls in place, but one of them turns out to be turned off or you overlooked something, then potentially contractors are in the False Claims Act violation situation. That could be pretty dangerous. Very. You know, I've said many times that uh, as difficult and costly as it could be to satisfy all 110 requirements of this uh, 171 cyber control set, it's a lot less expensive than finding yourself subject to a False Claims Act uh, investigation or uh, filed litigation. Those are incredibly disruptive and expensive even before you get to damages. Well, there's a couple of places where FCA exposure could emerge. We know beginning December 1st, that companies will have to submit that self-assessment. They also have to submit uh, a date by which they're going to close out any of the uh, gaps that they found in their self-assessment. Well, some companies are going to be tempted to report a higher score than they actually earned. Uh, Some companies may be tempted to report a score without actually doing the assessment or to, to do an assessment without having a system security plan that would be the basis of the assessment. At the same time, companies may also promise that they're going to close those gaps and and uh, get to 100% compliance uh, faster than they intend to. Well, in that situation, if you act uh, with uh, uh, an intent to mislead the government or with reckless disregard of uh, the truth of what you submit, well, you could find yourself um, exposed to the False Claims Act. And the government's theory would be that uh, once you post these scores, you are representing to the government a certain level of cyber compliance. And you are representing also to the government that you're going to make it better and fix it over the time that you promise. Well, if those representations are not true, what that implies is that the government awarded you a contract, deemed you eligible to receive a contract on false premises. And if that's the case, the government, you know, in theory could say that it would never have given you the contract at all, and it could uh, demand that it uh, be paid as damages, not just uh, some significant forfeiture penalties, but potentially even all the money that you were paid on the contract that the government uh, didn't think you should have had in the first place. So potentially then a whistleblower at a company, for example, could notify the authorities that, hey, there's only... 104 of the 110 controls that this company said are in place. And even if there's not a cybersecurity-related incident at the company, that could be grounds for False Claims Act regardless. Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, there are examples of situations where um, there's been debates and disagreements within companies and where a company has gone ahead and taken a contract and pledged a certain level of cyber performance where, Uh, employees disagree. And one of those led to a well-publicized False Claims Act case uh, brought against uh, Aerojet out in in California. The case is still pending. Well, in this situation, there's going to be stress on companies. Clearly, there is a requirement to 
document your security, make the self-assessment, report it, and promise a date to fix it. There are going to be internal disagreements. And if uh, if someone disagrees and they cannot be persuaded that the company is taking a responsible, uh, ethical, and truthful approach, it cannot be dismissed that such a person could become a quitem uh, whistleblower. Now, the fact that uh, a person makes a, a False Claims Act allegation uh, certainly doesn't make it so. And there are examples of where whistleblowers have, have brought uh, unjustified claims and are seeking to exploit the potential opportunity to make uh, a bounty in getting a share of a False Claims Act settlement. But I expect that we will see more activity where companies feel pressure not only to satisfy the government, but to satisfy uh, the insistence of uh, some of their own internal employees. And just a thought on the change of administration, presuming that President-elect Biden does, in fact, assume office on January 20th. Does this seem like a policy and program that is likely to sustain itself across these two administrations? Well, that is a huge question. So, I'd like to distinguish between the reasons for this uh, CMMC and cyber initiative on the one hand and the methods that are taken in response. I like to think of the reasons as reflecting uh, risk, and risk is a function of threat and vulnerability and the consequences of a cyber attack or breach if successful. I don't think any of those factors, threat, vulnerability, or consequence, change for the better, whether it be the day after the election or the day after the inauguration. So the security environment in which uh, we operate remains the same, and it is not. uh, It's not a safe one. It's a dangerous environment where adversaries are highly skillful, they are determined, and they have been, unfortunately, all too successful. All that says is that we have continuing reasons in a new administration to protect the confidentiality of sensitive information held by the defense industrial base and other federal contractors. But where things could change is on the mechanics. The Trump administration has taken quite an assertive approach. Uh, The combination of this DOD assessment method and the new CMMC initiative has consequence to literally hundreds of thousands of companies who are federal contractors. It's demanding, and it involves a high degree of government oversight initially and then industry oversight of itself. There are people that question whether it's asking too much of too many. There are people who will wonder whether the costs expended will be justified by the results in security. And because those questions may have some legitimacy to the new administration, it would not surprise me if those who acquire authority within the Department of Defense were to pause some aspects of these new initiatives and to rethink how some of it should best be done. Do I think that CMMC will be abandoned? Uh, no. Do I think that DOD will give companies a free hand to promise security without uh, DOD checking to see whether it's true? No. But, you know, we have to find a way to to balance the objective, the necessity of better security, with uh, confidence that it can actually be achieved at an affordable cost by a substantial fraction of our industrial base. Attorney Bob Metzger is a partner at Rogers Joseph O'Donnell. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on your schedule. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.